And that was The Smiths with The Queen Is Dead from the album The Queen Is Also Dead. And for those who are paying attention, Warner Music will be reissuing um, a package, a multi-disc deluxe edition of The Smiths' 1986 album The Queen Is Dead, which is going to come out on vinyl, CD and lots of other exciting format. And this is going to be in uh, this coming autumn. So do check that out just in time for Christmas. Anyway, enough plugging of that. This is David Eastall and this is The C86 Show.
Hello and welcome once again to another epic slice of life as I dip my toe into the fascinating world of 80s indie pop. And this week I caught up with the drummer Kenny Harris from the three-piece band The Screaming Blue Messiahs to find out more about life, love and poetry or just the, um, some of the issues and problems you can have when you're in a band. So I'll be bringing you that interview in four easy-to-digest little segments throughout the show, plus, as always, the usual selection of top tunes from that golden decade. But because we're obviously feeling very excited about the Screen and Blue Messiahs, I thought we should start with their epic song. This is Wide Blue Yonder. Take it away, Kenny.
Oh yes, chart band sounds. That was lush in a track called Chirpy Chirpy Cheep Cheep, as if you needed to know that. And that was um, originally done in 1971 by an amazing band called Middle of the Road. What a great name! Um, and that was a that was a track that came out on a compilation in I think the late 80s, which was called Elvin Lives in Leeds, and it was a anti-poll tax. Coll- um, collection of tracks for um, raising funds for the Anti-Poll Tax League, which also featured such amazing people as uh, Robin Hitchcock, The Wedding Present, The Corn Dollies, The 14 Ice Bears, and lots of other bands. And I probably will play to you the Robin Hitchcock um, track one day, because he does uh, a fantastic version of Kung Fu Fighting, and also The Wedding Present does... um, Make Me Smile. So there you go, Steve Harley classic. And before that, we had our special guest today. It, it was the Screaming of Blue Messiahs and the track called Wild Blue Yonder. And I'll be bringing you the interview with Kenny Harris throughout the show. It will be dotted in a sort of groovy and exciting way. But anyway, this is David Esau. This is the C86 show. And this is Half Man, Half Biscuit with a track called Four Skinny Indie Kids. Bleak cheap interview, pool cue, fancy pants, chick bait, apricot, short term sweat, hamstring monument, shark shit, welterweight, topsoil, chapter house, Christ like mints. Yeah. 
There you have it. That is The Marine Girls and the track called On My Mind. And that came out in 1981, featuring Tracy Thorne, who went on to Everything But The Girl, and also Gina Hartman and various uh, members of the Fox family, Jane and Alice. I'm not sure if they were actually on it. But anyway, I will be bringing you a special on The Marine Girls very soon because I caught up with one of the members very soon. I know the excitement is mountain, isn't it? Which one? I hear you say, or not. Anyway, and before that, we had all the way from Liverpool, Half Man, Half Biscuit, and uh, Full Skinny, Indie Kids, and if you didn't like that, then you probably did. Anyway, this is David Eastall. This is the C86 Show, bringing you the finest in indie pop. If you want to contact me, we do love your messages. You can do it via Facebook or Twitter. Just go to at C86 Show, and I'll be there lurking in an excited way. And like I said, I'll be bringing you more tracks from the Scream and Blue Messiahs and various interview parts of the interview with Kenny Harris from the band very soon. But before that, we have a little bit of Wire and a track called Outdoor Minor. No blind spots in the leopard's eyes Can only help to jeopardize The lives of lambs that shepherd cries An outdoor life for a silver fish Eternal dust, less ticklish Than the clean room, a house gas way Baby, baby. 
That's the Screaming Blue Messiahs, as if it could be anybody else, and the track called I Want to Be a Flintstone. And one of the reasons I sort of remember getting into uh, the Screaming Blue Messiahs was actually it was my dear old friend David Bowie, who um, I remember this was about 86, 87, when he was about to do the Glass Spider tour and album. Um, Yes, he mentioned, somebody asked him what one of his favourite bands was of the moment, and he mentioned the Screaming Blue Messiahs. And my ears immediately pricked up and I thought, right, I better go and check them out. If Mr. Bowie likes them, they must be good. And um, they were. And before that, we had the unmistakable sound of Wire and the track called Outdoor Minor. This is Dave Easter on the C86 show. And like I said, we uh, we like to keep our finger on the pulse of life as well as um, surfing the cultural zeitgeist. And I noticed that Marky Smith is still alive, which is fantastic. And um, he does look a little bit different over the years, actually. Yes, interesting new look by Marky Smith. But anyway, The Fool have got a new album out called New Facts Emerge, and that's come out on the Cherry Red Record label, who seem to be releasing an awful lot of that stuff, mostly compilations of um, very interesting material from the last few decades. But this is the, well, this uh, this is the track called New Facts Emerge, and I think it still sounds as good as ever. Marky Smith, take it away. <laughs> Yeah. 
still sounding as amazing as ever. That is The Fall and a new track from the album. That is New Facts Emerge, and that's the title of the album as well. And that's just come out on Cherry Red Records in lots of different formats, including vinyl and compact disc. But anyway, and they've got various dates coming up throughout the autumn. And uh, well done, Marky Smith. You're still rocking and sounding good. Anyway, this is David Eastall. This is The C86 Show. And this is the first part of my interview that I had with Kenny Harris from The Screaming Blue Messiahs, where I asked him about the formation of the band. Take it away, Kenny. Well, a couple of years before we formed, I'd played in another band with Bill and Chris called The Small Brothers. Uh, I joined that the usual way, Advert Melody Maker. Uh, did a few gigs with them, but they, they were sort of gradually morphing into Motor Boy Motor. Right. Which was a bit more off the wall. Uh, we parted ways anyway. I played in a few other bands and then Oh, a couple of years later, I met Bill, bumped into him in a pub in Ealing, and he said the uh, Motorboys Motor was splitting up, and we'd have come up to Alaska Studios in Waterloo for a bit of a jam with him and Chris. So that's that's what happened, went up, and uh, it started to go really well for the beginning, so we stuck together. Fantastic. Because... Well, it was okay, but I then found out the drummer Motorboys Motor didn't actually know his band was splitting up. But... Oh, dear. So... Uh, I'll probably get the blame for that. There we go. <laughs> yes, I get. I guess you know, you have to make these decisions, but it's always a bit tough, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> we'll have to let it go because that was in kind of eighty. That was the early eighties. So this is kind of a. That was eighty-three. We got together. Yeah, and that was kind of really. I mean, eighty-three was kind of the year that indie pop sort of started to become indie pop I suppose because it was mm. a, a post-punk period and then you know I suppose when the Smiths had that first album and, yeah. and people started to look at the independent charts things started to sort of happen well so, our first mini album didn't go and that wasn't an indie label big and that was actually in the indie charts for six months yes were you I mean who were you kind of influenced by at the time because you had quite a distinctive sound didn't you well Bill and Chris were very into blues and I'm talking about you know Muddy Waters, Howlin' Wolf, right. Johnny Hooker, that sort of thing. Yeah, because obviously, I mean, one of the first times I came across you was was dear old David Bowie, who was talking about influences, and this was kind of the mid-80s, and he said, mm. yes, yeah, one of the bands that he liked, and he sort of reeled out a few, and then he said, the Screaming Blue Messiahs, that he he said I had to buy that one because the band didn't, you know, no one sent it to me, but he really yeah, liked Yeah, I saw them. that press conference. Yes, and and we all quickly had to scribble down Screaming Blue Messiahs, we must go and play in track, check that out. So were you kind of delighted and, and slightly, like, amazed? Oh, I mean, something like Bowie gives you a nod, you, you don't ignore it, it was great. Unfortunately, we ended up supporting them in two gigs in the Glass Spider Tour, and I personally don't think we were anywhere near ready for gigs that size. Yes. <laughs> they really were. Well. I mean, we, we just recorded Bikini Red, and it hadn't been released, so nobody had heard the songs off it, so we're playing a set of brand new songs in front of crowds that we just weren't big enough to handle, really. I, I, that's what I think. I, I can't speak for the other two, but I think we were out of depth. You probably were. But anyway, it was a bit of a tricky um, tour by David Bowie, the Glass Spider tour. But it was um, a good start. And um, obviously, things can only get better, as they used to say. But that that was my first part of the interview with Kenny Harris, talking about the early years of the Screaming Blue Messiahs. But we sort of slip over to a bit of Elvis Costello and welcome to the working week. Now that your pictures in the paper being perfectly admired, you can have it all you gotta tell me now is why, 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 why? Welcome to the working week. Oh, I know it don't thrill you. I hope it don't kill you. Welcome to the working week. You gotta do it till you do it till you better get into it. I'll have your family had your children survive. And this the waiting for their big day to arrive. But if you are after me, they better be alive. Welcome to the working week. Same land. Why'd you wanna be my friend when I do 
Nice little bit of drumming there. There you go. That's Elvis Costello. And that's a track called Welcome to the Working Week. That came from the album My Aim is True. And every track on the album is pure, pure magic. Anyway, this is the second part of my interview with... Kenny Harris from the Screaming Blue Messiahs, where I talk about life in the band. It does get a bit dark and groovy, this interview, by the way. It was great in the beginning, but uh, it's time went on, Bill Carter's ego. The bigger the band got, the bigger his ego got, put it that way. Right. And it just was not easy to work with at all. And, it, and towards the end, he ran out of songs. He'd never admit that, but he had. Yes. Uh, so the last album was made... Uh, it was uh, the songs emerged after hours and hours and hours spent in various rehearsal and recording studios. The band basically jamming until songs emerged, <laughs> which he then took full credit for writing. Right. So it kind of it sounded like it had become almost unbearable. Well, you do you do spend more than is normal time with each other. You do, you get sick of the sight of each other's faces, to be honest. But when there's somebody going out his way to make it deliberately as uncomfortable as possible. I mean, how the hell nobody get killed? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I suppose having sort of spoke to quite a few bands, there is that element that um, it was like, we better finish now because someone's going to get hurt. <laughs> but basically, Car Carter had the, the attitude that when things went well, he took the credit for it. When things didn't go well, well Chris and I get the blame. Right. I mean, obviously, so, obviously, being in the creative process and, and trying to write, uh, you know, producing sort of original material is always going to be a bit diplomatic. I mean, and, and you did have a sort of a moment where, where sort of things did sort of click into place, especially in the sort of mid-80s when you did, I suppose there was uh, Wild Blue Yonder and also Bikini Red were, were particularly good albums, weren't they? And, and mm, singles. Mm. Or no, you know, that was a single. Well, Bikini Red is my personal favourite. You know, and also yes, and then and then obviously when you did totally religious, was that the sort of the time when things were sort of getting more difficult? Well, as I as I say, they run out of songs. I mean, Chris can write songs, but Carter, it was so intent on grabbing as much publishing money as possible, he wouldn't let anybody else be credited. Uh, so we ended up in the uh, winter, December uh, '88. Going to Miami and recording in Criteria Studios for six weeks. Now, Criteria Studios is one of the most expensive top studios in the world. It's where the Bee Gees did all their hits. Right. right that's the sort of records they made. And we were in there spending Electra's money doing bloody demos, which, quite frankly, were unlistenable. So they booted us back. Electra told us to get our asses back to London and do more demos, which we did, and they were far better. Right. I kind of helped thinking they. Absence of cocaine help. Right. I mean, that's what you get when you go and spend time in Miami. I'm sure that the uh, Miami Tourist Board don't put that on their adverts, actually. But anyway, that was the second part of my interview. It does get better and better. Life in a bad, it should come with a health, uh, government health warning, really. But anyway, um, yes, like I said, that was Kenny Harris from the Screaming Blue Messiahs. And this is going to be a bit of killing joke and the track called Love Like Blood.
There you go. Chart Band Sands with Kid and Joke and a track called Love Like Blood. And I was just having a look at that particular single. It got to number 16 in the UK singles chart. Can you believe it? Only 16. But it did get to number five in the Netherlands singles chart. So well done, Holland, for keeping that in the top 10. Anyway, this is David Eastall, The C86 Show. And this is the third part of my interview with Kenny Harris from The Screaming Blue Messiahs. When we talk about, oh, yes, this does contain adult themes. I'll just say this now. Um, the world of drugs. It didn't help, no. It really didn't. Right. Uh, but we were, um, there was no angels there. We were always bad as each other, so I'm not going to point any fingers at anybody. Yes. It's just, uh, if anyone says I've done an American tour without touching coke, they're, they're liars. That's what I can say. <laughs> Seriously, we, when we met the guys from Electra, they were the EU or WA, so they put our records out. The first gig we did was in New York, New Music Seminar. So we met the, the MD and all his sort of cohorts, all lined up, meet and greet sort of thing. Every single one of them, as we got to them, took a little brown bottle out of the top pockets with a fold-out spoon and unscrewed it and put the spoon in the bottle and gave us a little toot. By the end of the night, we had our own little bottles with fold-out spoons. <laughs> and it's just... Tours, you know, every, I mean... You never have to look for it. I mean, dealers know... If they know there's a band on at a club, they know where to turn up and when. Right. And but, you know, it's, I, I wish I hadn't done it now. I've got high blood pressure, but here we go. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, I suppose when you're young and and you, you don't know what's going, coming around the corner, there is also the hope that the next album is going to be the one that... I always remember seeing the bit... That, of... was, always, that was always the carrot in the stick. That's what we, we put up with Carter's crap and everything because the mantra was, oh, the next album's going to be the breakthrough album. Yes. So we had the attitude, well, we'll have that bloody much money we can put up with them. Yeah. Never happened like that. It didn't happen. I mean, how does the band kind of finish, you know, as in for good? You know, there's no... I mean, do you sort of have a moment or do you just not see each other again? Carter just walked away. There was no meeting to say, right, that's it, let's knock it in the head. He just... He went to America and got married. Right. And that was the last time of, of it? We we got together in 1990, did two gigs at the Subterranean in Ladbroke Grove, which we were told was to pay off some outstanding band bill, but I, I think Tatler come back from America. I think he'd come back skint. And him and the dodgy manager we had at the time concocted this bloody story... I think we did two gigs to to raise money for him. But I'm just saying, I think that I might be wrong. Maybe there was a bill. We'll never find out. Yes. But then, you know, two gigs isn't going to pay an awful lot of bills, is it? Well, we'll be getting it for 10 grand a night at that time. Oh, OK, then. So then, obviously... And then was that... I mean, when, when you met each other again, was that quite... Because obviously a decade had passed. Was it quite interesting? I mean, oh, you... no, no, it wasn't a decade. No, that, that was 1990. I mean, the oh. band did the last official gigs, 89. This is only a few months. Oh, yes. After Cartler disappeared. Yeah. So even then, we hadn't, still hadn't officially split up. But after these two gigs, that, that was it. Yeah. Then a few years later, uh, this would be the end of the 90s, we actually, three of us got... We met up and talked about maybe doing a few gigs. And we met up in a rehearsal room in Wandsworth somewhere. But it was like the corpse of the band was in the room, but the spirit had long gone. It's always the way in life anyway. That's the uh, third part of my interview with Kenny Harris from the Screaming Blue Messiahs. I've just got one little bit left of that interview coming right up after we've heard from their classic track called Bikini Red.
There you go, that's um, the Screaming Blue Messiahs and a track called Bikini Red from their 1987 album, Bikini Red. And this is the fourth and final part of my interview with Kenny Harris when I asked him what he would say to his 18-year-old self. Uh, for God's sake, don't answer that advert and Melvin Mecker that Bill Carter placed. <laughs> Stay away. <laughs> I mean, do you have <laughs> Stay away. Do you have any kind of fond memories of the screen? Yeah, of course I do. I mean, and the, we have some fantastic gigs. I mean, the marquee was always my favourite. I think that place should have had a preservation order on it. But I remember after our first manager left, we had three gigs uh, booked at the marquee, three gigs in a row, and they were all sold out. And it was the first time, because it was the first time we'd done any gigs with no manager, and I have never had so much cash stuffed in my pockets once we split up the proceeds for the three nights. It was brilliant. Right. But you the manager. And we ended up getting a real shark, which things really plummeted then. Yes. But it was Carter that got him. So Chris and I felt really sidelined. Like we were being controlled by Carter and his dodgy manager. Yes. Well, that's why the music business attracts so many sharks because the sharks who have no interest in music but a lot of interest in money, they know that most musicians are doing music because that's what they want to do. No, everybody starts doing music to be a bloody rock star around them. Some people just love playing, which means most of them are not very good businessmen or are very good heads for figures. And the sharks know that. So they, they let the mugs carry on with the music while helping themselves to their money. Yes. No one feel well that they're so wrapped up in the music. It'll be years before they realise what's happened, by which time it's too late. Well, that's, everyone's got a shelf life, you know. And it, it, it felt really burnt out by the end, to be honest. I mean, we've got a box set, out, I don't know if you're aware of. Yes. And in the, in the box set, there's a live album, Live in Zurich, which was done in the last tour. But it was so miserable, that last tour. I mean, I normally had a policy of always staying sober when I play. It's a matter of being professional. People are paying money to see you. They're the one who sees some drunk following all over the place. But the last tour was so awful, the atmosphere in the tour bus and everything. I was just drinking loads of whiskey, not giving a damn about how the gigs went. And that Zurich, man, it sounds fine. The playing's fine. I just don't actually remember being at the gig, never mind playing it. I was so bloody out my face. But 
the plane's okay. But when you've been doing it as long and every night, it, it becomes, it's more muscle memory than anything else. Indeed it is. And uh, that was the final part of my interview with Kenny Harris from the Screaming Blue Messiahs, talking about life, love and poetry and the trickiness of being in a band. But anyway, the album that it tore the box set he was talking about was called Vision in Blues, and that does feature most of their material. And you can still find most of it, and it's all on Spotify as well. And it's worth checking out. So thank you ever so much, Kenny, for giving me the time for that interview. And um, and if you were paying attention at the beginning of the, of the show, I played a track by Lush, Chirpy Chirpy Cheap Cheap, from the album Elvin Lives in Leeds, and that was an anti-Poltax um, benefit album. And this is also a track from the album. This is The Wedding Present and Make Me Smile. <laughs> There you go. That is the uh, wedding present with a track called Come Up and See Me Smile, which was originally done by Steve Harley. Anyway, this is the end of the show, which is terribly sad. Um, This has been David Eastall, the C86 show. Do keep in touch. You can via Twitter or Facebook. Just go to at C86 show and you'll find me there. And as always, I'll be bringing you more exciting guests next week. But I will leave you with another bit of a classic. This is Daniela Dax and Cat House. Yeah.